The following message has been brought to you by Trinity Baptist Church. For more information, visit us on the web at trinitybc.org. Acts chapter 10. If you have your Bibles, which I hope you do, open them up to Acts chapter 10. We're taking a break from our walkthrough of the Gospel of Matthew uh, to look to this message, this story on the life of Peter involving a man named Cornelius. Uh, so all week long through VBS, they've been looking to the life of Peter and have been um, learning from God's uh, word to Peter that's been recorded, the stories about Peter's life that have been recorded under the inspiration of God and his word uh, that we may see also, that we may learn also of God and of the gospel of Christ. And so I, I am, again, returning to that next week, back to the book of Matthew, but for this morning with VBS wrap-up and celebration I wanted to bring this message from Acts chapter 10 in the life of Peter. Let's go ahead and read the passage, Acts chapter 10, just to catch you up on the context. Jesus, of course, has already uh, been resurrected from the dead. He's ascended to heaven. The gospel now, the story of Jesus' life, burial, and resurrection, and in that, our salvation. That gospel message is now going out through all of Jerusalem, throughout all the land of Israel even, about Jesus being the true Christ, the Messiah, who died upon a cross for our sins, was buried and raised again. And many were coming to faith in Jesus. Many Jews were coming to faith in Jesus. And now we pick up Acts chapter 10 and verse 1. There was a certain man in Caesarea called Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment a devout man, and one who feared God with all his household. He gave alms generously to the people and prayed to God always. This man was a Gentile. He was not a Jew. And yet, we just read, and we'll talk more about it in a moment, he was a God-fearer. He believed in God. He did the best he could with what he had. About the ninth hour, verse 3 of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God coming in and saying to him, Cornelius. And when he observed him, he was afraid and said, What is it, Lord? Lowercase lower l there. So he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have come up for a memorial before God. Now send men to Joppa and send for Simon, whose surname is Peter, he is lodging with Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. He will tell you what you must do. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, Cornelius called two of his household servants and a devout soldier from among those who waited on him continually. So when he had explained all these things to them, he sent them to Joppa. The next day, as they were on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray. It was about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. And he saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything uncommon or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again a second time, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done three times, and the object was taken up into heaven again. Now, while Peter wondered within himself what this vision which he had seen meant, Behold, the men who had been sent from Cornelius had, uh, had made inquiry for Simon's house and stood before the gate. And they called and asked whether Simon, whose surname was Peter, was lodging there. While Peter thought about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are seeking you. Arise, therefore, go down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. Then Peter went down to the men who had, he had, uh, who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Yes, I am he who you seek. For what reason have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, a just man, one who fears God and has a good reputation among all the nation of the Jews, was divinely instructed by a holy angel to summon you to his house and to hear words from you. Then he invited them in and lodged them. On the next day, Peter went away with them, and some brethren from Joppa accompanied him. And the following day, they entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them and had called them together with his relatives and close friends. As Peter was coming in, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I myself am a man also. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many who had come together. Then he said to them, You know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or to go to one of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. Therefore, I came without objection as soon as I was sent. I asked then, For what reason have you sent me? So Cornelius said, Four days ago I was fasting until this hour, and at the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your alms are remembered in the sight of God. Send therefore to Joppa and call Simon here, whose surname is Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. When he comes, he will speak to you. So I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. Now, therefore, we are all present before God to hear all the things commanded you by God. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, whoever fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. The word which God sent to the children of Israel preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. And we are all witnesses of all the things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. Him God raised up on the third day and showed him openly, 
not to all people, but to witnesses chosen before by God, even to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets witness that through his name, whoever believes in him will receive remission of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Now up until this point in the history of the early church, as Luke is tracing it out in the book of Acts, the gospel had not yet been taken to those who weren't Jewish. This story is a transition in the book of Acts. This story is the beginning of of the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ, leaving Jerusalem, even leaving Israel, to go to the uttermost parts of the earth with that story of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and of salvation in His name. If I were to capture the, the main truth that this chapter even is revealing to us, it is captured well in the title even of the message this morning, that all people everywhere need Jesus. All people, no matter what nationality, no matter what country they're coming from, no matter what ethnicity or race that they identify by, all all people, all people everywhere are in need of salvation that only can come through the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to just bring two lessons that we see. One, as this truth bears out in the life of, of Peter, and another is this truth bears out in the life of Cornelius. So just two, two points to the message this morning, two lessons. One, we see in the life of Peter that he had to come to, to understand as he came to embrace this great truth, and the other, the life of Cornelius, that he had to come to grasp, to grips with, as he considered this truth. First, notice from Peter, you must be willing to share Jesus with everyone, everywhere. You must be willing to share Jesus, I would word it this way, without discrimination. Without judging and thinking, well, that person deserves Jesus or will come to faith in Jesus, receive what I have to say, and that person will not, and so I'm not going to waste my time there. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just focus here. No, no, Peter is coming to understand through God working in the events that transpired in this chapter that all people everywhere are in need of Jesus, and that means that he must go to all people everywhere proclaiming the message of Christ, the message of the gospel. If you know much about the day and age that this chapter takes place, Israel was under bondage to Rome, to the Roman Empire. The the Jews despised the Romans in the Roman Empire because they, they took heavy, heavy taxes upon the people. So much so that most people could barely even survive because of the the taxes that had to be paid to Rome. They did not like the soldiers especially who enforced the law and the rules of Rome. That that they were in bondage to to Rome and to Roman authorities. Caesarea is a Roman town that the Romans built 
this man Cornelius is a Roman. He's an Italian. He, he's of the, the, the regiment of soldiers that were placed there. A man even of great authority, we come to find, as he even commands these other men and other soldiers to go on this journey. He, he was one that, just stereotypically speaking, no Jew would ever want to have a conversation with, much less go to his house to bring a message of salvation. Peter even admits this as he, he speaks of the common interpretation of that day and age regarding the law and how they viewed Gentiles. He, he mentioned there, we read it there um, in verses 24 through 33 when he was greeting Cornelius. He said, listen, under the law, I'm not even permitted to come into your house. And yet here I am because I recognize God has sent me. How did he come to see and understand that God had sent him? One, the Holy Spirit told him. But before that, think about this vision that Peter received. It's an interesting vision. Peter's up on the roof. He's praying. He's hungry. They go to fix him some food. And he, he goes into this trance-like state where God reveals to him this vision. And in this vision, there's a blanket, a sheet, and you can imagine it grasped on the, the four corners, kind of like we might make a sack with a pole if we're running away from home or whatever the occasion may be. You, you, you picture that sheet bound on the four corners and it's, it's let down and, and obviously opened up where he sees what's inside it. And he sees all sorts of animals that we would say taste very good, but he would not know that they taste very good when cooked properly because under the law, they were forbidden to be eaten under the law of the Old Testament. And so for all his life, Peter had abstained from eating these animals because God said they should not do so. Under the law, it was meant to separate them from all the pagan practices and all the pagan nations that surrounded them. And so this was something that made the Israelites, the Jews, found their distinction in this, in their separateness from the other nations. That God called them to be the people of God. God called them to be a holy nation. And part of this was this dietary restriction even. There were animals that were viewed as unclean that they were not to eat. And then there were certain animals and things that were viewed as clean that they were able to partake, that they were able to eat of. And God lets down this blanket and says, Peter, rise, kill and eat. Have some bacon. Peter says, Lord, no, I can't. That's, that's, that's common. That's unclean. I I, I am forbidden. And what does, what does the Lord, the voice, I believe, of God speaking here say to him? The voice of God speaks and says to him, what I have cleansed, what I have cleaned, what I have cleansed, let, let no one call common, let no one call unclean. God is trying to bring Peter to an understanding here that involved what they could eat and what they couldn't eat. Yes, there is a, a doing away of the dietary restrictions in the law uh, when, when Christ comes and fulfills the law, but there's far more that God is picturing here. Three times this happens. And guess what? How many men came and knocked on Peter's door? Okay, there, there's an obvious parallel here. And Peter even is pondering what the meaning of this vision was when that knock on the door came and, and God gives that message to him, listen to these men who come and go with them. Three Gentiles knock on his door and, and Peter says, all right, God, I, I, I realize what you're doing here. I don't know exactly how this is going to unfold, but what God has cleansed, let no one call uh, common, let no one call unclean. 
And Peter went, and he obeyed God, and he, he goes to Cornelius' house, and what he finds, he, even in Cornelius, a Gentile, who did not have the law of God, he still was a man who was believing in God, even the God of Israel, living in reflection of that, and he was, he was a generous man. He treated people right in his life. He was doing the best that he could. He, he even had a respect among the Jews, it says here, that they respected him for his kindness and his generosity, for the way in which he was living his life. And yet he needed something more. And Peter came, and God sent that angel to Cornelius to receive this message of Peter. Peter came, and Peter entered into that house, even though it was forbidden by the culture that he came from, because he knew God was in this. He knew God was commanding him to do this. And he preached the message of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to Cornelius. And Cornelius came to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Look what it says in verse 34. When Peter first opened his mouth there to Cornelius, he says, In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. Peter had to come to a point of, of understanding that though God had worked in and through the Jewish nation for so long, all of that pointed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And after Jesus died upon a cross, was buried and raised again, there is now no distinction between Jew and Gentile. All this unfolds in the writings of Paul, especially in Galatians and Ephesians. We could quote verse after verse where the point is made that, that in Christ there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile anymore. That really we all fit under this category called sinners. That all of us, Jew and Gentile alike, are sinners in need of the forgiveness that can only come by Christ. And that's the message that Peter declares to Cornelius. Look to the the last verse there in the words of, of Peter. Verse 43, To him all the prophets witness that through his name whoever believes in him and Jesus will receive the forgiveness, remission of sins. Peter had to come to a point where he realized all people everywhere need Jesus. The Jew and Gentile alike were condemned by a holy God because of the sinfulness of their own heart, and they were in need of redemption. They were in need of salvation, in need of forgiveness. And Jesus Christ came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins not only of the Jew, not only of Israel, but He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so in His proclamation of this gospel, He had to, to, to break through the religious background that he was raised in. He had to break through the, the cultural expectations that were even impressed upon him in that day and age. He had to, to really break through even the own bigotries within his own heart. His own hatred for the Romans. And he had to realize God's commanded me to bring the gospel to everybody everywhere, to all people everywhere. I, I must go and I must do as God commands and share the message of the Lord Jesus Christ with this man. Cornelius. Now today and today in our day and age, we don't really have a division over Jew and Gentile. It's not a, a, a thing that really divides us in our culture and in our day and in our age. But hear me, we absolutely do have things that divide us, do we not? Think of racism. That's something that still divides us, even in this day and age in which we live. And and some who have 
just a, 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 a racial just bigotry within their heart. And truth be told, if we were to examine your heart and you were to share the gospel, let's just say you were out on visitation and you, you saw you know a group standing over here that, that you would be similar to and a group standing over here that, that looks a little different than you, how many of us would, would be motivated to, to go to the group that looks like us and not go to the group that might be a different ethnicity than we are. See, this, this truth that Paul or that Peter came to embrace that had to radically change his, his life and the way that he was sharing the gospel, it still speaks to you and me today. That we get to a place where we realize all people everywhere are created in the image of God. All people everywhere are sinners in need of the, the grace of God or in need of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must, without discrimination, meaning equally to all, be willing to proclaim the gospel, the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's not only race that divides us in this day and age. We, we divide over our socioeconomic levels. How much money you make and how well educated are you? And what kind of job do you have? Are you blue collar or white collar job and the separation and all of that? And we find much to divide over. We could throw politics even in here and, and we can divide very much so over political viewpoints and many viewpoints are right to divide over. Don't hear me wrong in that. But never, never ought we to think that person's not worthy of the gospel. Never, ever ought we to think, I don't need to share the gospel here, but this person's going to be more, this person's more worthy of hearing the gospel is what we're ultimately saying. No, no, no. Peter says God shows no partiality. Jew and Gentile alike, Republican and Democrat alike, all the races of the earth, educated and uneducated, Ph.D. or GED. Guess what? We all fit under a category titled sinners. <laughs> Sinners condemned by holy God in need of salvation. And guess what? Jesus is Savior. He's Savior not just to the rich and not just to the poor. Many churches do wrongly in their ministry by only catering to the rich or only catering to the poor. No, He's the Savior of all people everywhere. And we ought to equally, with all of our might, with all that we can, with all of our passion, be ready to share the gospel with a person who's homeless on the side of the street as much as we are the millionaire who moves in down the street. All people everywhere need Jesus. You must be willing to share Jesus with everyone, everywhere. Our VBS offering, Pastor Clay will mention more about it in the second service, but part of that is going to help a missionary in Indonesia. Why? Because people in Indonesia, they need salvation. They're sinners. They're human beings in need of the grace and forgiveness of God. And the beauty of the the gospel message is God brought the means of salvation. It's in Christ. It's in the, the gospel. We have that. We know that. We are commanded to bring it to the uttermost parts of the earth to, to share the, the news of the, the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be willing to share Jesus with everyone everywhere. Peter came to understand that as he came to understand that all people everywhere need Jesus. Secondly, Let's consider Cornelius. Cornelius had to come to a place of understanding this great truth. All people everywhere need Jesus. All people everywhere are in need of salvation. Cornelius was a pretty good fella. 
It says of Cornelius, go back to verses 1 and 2, it says of Cornelius that he was a devout man. Uh, he, he had a devotion in the way that he lived his life, a, a religion even in his life. He was a God-fearing man. He feared God and all of his household even. He raised his kids to, to live in the fear of God, meaning he believed that God existed, and meaning he believed there was a right and wrong, and he was trying to do what was right in the eyes of God. He was a devout man. He feared God. An example of that fear of God, he gave alms, money, generously to the people. He wasn't as many of the Romans were who were out to just get rich off the weak and off of all who he, they could take from. He was actually generous in giving to those who were in need. And he was a man of prayer. He prayed to God always. This sounds like a pretty good guy, doesn't it? We would think that a person who lives such a life would be okay in the eyes of God. They would already be saved. And yet, what do we find? We find there was something lacking. What we find is this man needed something further than just being a God-fearing, generous, praying man. You see, before Peter comes, he doesn't know Jesus. And we'll, I hope, I'll prove it in just a moment before Peter comes to bring Jesus. This man was a good moral man. This man was a God-fearing man. This man was a man of prayer and a man of generosity. But this man was a sinner who, if he died, would have went to hell had it not been for the message of Christ that comes to him. Second point for the morning, a good life isn't enough. You must believe upon Jesus. A good life is good. And God respects and commends a good life. But it's not enough. More is required. Some people look to this passage in his life, Cornelius' life, and they look specifically to verse 35. And they, they walk away, pulling this verse out of the context to think, well, you know, if we live a good life, then, then surely we're going to make it. But in every nation, whoever fears him, fears God, and works righteousness is accepted by him. And they pull this out of the context of the storyline that's unfolded, where Cornelius was this good, righteous man who feared God and prayed and was generous. And they, they fail to view this verse in light of the fact that Peter still was commanded to come to him to bring the gospel. And Peter proclaimed a message that, hey, you've got to believe in him to forgive, bring the forgiveness of sins. They ignore what we're about to look to in chapter 11. And they walk away thinking, you know what, it's okay for people that have never heard the name of Jesus. If they just fear God and live rightly, you know, as best they can, then they're, they're accepted in the eyes of God. What does that word acceptable mean? Can it mean that they are saved? And I say all we got to do is chap uh, flip over to chapter 11 and verse... Um, chapter 11 and verses 13 and 14. What's happening in chapter 11 is Peter's gone back to the Jews and they're, they're shocked that he went to the Gentiles. And Peter's telling the story of what happened to, to give evidence that, hey, Gentiles are coming to salvation in Jesus just like Jews are. And Peter summarizing what happened. Verse, uh, look to verse, let's start in verse 13 of chapter 11. And he told us, this is 
Peter talking about Cornelius. Cornelius told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, Send men to Joppa and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household future tense will be saved. Okay, so, so Peter retelling what Cornelius said about the message of the angel that spoke to him. It's, it's, the angel is, is speaking to Cornelius, and he's telling Cornelius, listen, right now, though you are a devout man, though you are a God-fearer, though you are generous, though you do pray often, you're lacking something. You're not yet saved. I'm going to bring to you, the angel says, the words, the words that, that you will be saved by by which you and all of your household will be saved. So, so what Peter is saying back in chapter 10 and verse 35 cannot be that Cornelius was saved prior to hearing about the Lord Jesus Christ. He wasn't saved. He was accepted before God and that what he was doing was pleasing in the eyes of God. It is good that we do good works. It is good that there are good moral people in this life who are generous and who even believe in God and who even pray to God. But Peter is saying here, the Word of God is saying here, that alone is not enough to bring about the forgiveness of our sins. Something greater is required. Something more than what we can produce in our own goodness is required to bring about the forgiveness of our sins and bring about salvation. What is the words? What are the words? that he's speaking about here. Go back. Go back to verse 36 of chapter 10. Peter speaking to Cornelius. The word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching, first of all, peace through Jesus Christ. That there is peace that's possible with God. It doesn't come through being a God-fearer. It doesn't come through being generous. It doesn't come through prayer and, and living rightly as best you can before God. The peace that comes from God, that brings about peace with holy God, it comes through Jesus Christ. Jesus, he says next, is Lord of all. Jesus is King. That word, he says, you know, which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism of John, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. That Jesus vindicated in his life the righteousness of God, the compassion of God. He was the incarnate Son of God. And we're all witnesses, he says in verse 39, in all things which he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then he says, whom they killed by hanging on a tree. That the sinless Son of God died a death upon a cross to bear the penalty for your sins and for my sins. That God raised him up on the third day. He didn't remain in that grave, in that tomb. On the third day, God raised him with resurrection life. And now he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it's he, it's Jesus, who was ordained by God to be judge of the living and the dead to him. All the prophets witnessed it through His name. Whoever believes in Him will receive remission of sins. Jesus is King. He's Lord of all. 
He's judge of the living and the dead. And someday all people will stand before him. And the only thing that can atone for our sins, it's not living a good life. It's not being a God-fearer. It's not being generous. It's not being a person of prayer. The only thing that can atone for our sins, that can bring about the forgiveness of our sins, is the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he did for us at Calvary when he died that death upon that cross for our sins. Peter put it this way in Acts 4.12, There is salvation and no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must, must be saved. Jesus is it. On that day of judgment, you realize what's true for Cornelius is true for you and true for me, right? You understand that, that Jesus is King. Jesus is Lord of all. No matter what you are believing, no matter what you are striving after this morning, as you've walked into this place, the fact is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ gave His ransom upon Calvary for any and all who will come to Him. That He's resurrected. That He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. That, that He is judge of the living and the dead. That Hebrews says it rightly. It's appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. That someday, some maybe sooner than others, but someday all will stand before Christ, the judge of the living and the dead. That someday you will stand before God, the judge of the living and the dead. And in that moment, there's no amount of goodness in your life that you can lay before Him and say, I have atoned for my sins. There's no about of prayers that you've prayed that you'll be able to put down before Him and Jesus say, you know, that is powerful enough to forgive your sins. There's no about of money that you're going to be able to calculate and present that figure to Jesus where Jesus says, you know what, you gave, you gave away just enough. Your sins are now forgiven. No, nothing, nothing like that can atone for your sins, can bring about the remission, the forgiveness of your sins. There's only one thing. Have you been redeemed with corruptible things, not with silver or gold? What have we been, been redeemed with? The precious blood. The Lamb of God. A Lamb without spot and blemish. The blood of Christ is the only thing that can bring about the forgiveness of your sins and my sins. You just picture Jesus hanging upon the cross. And you go back just a few moments from that that picture that you've got in your mind of Jesus praying in the garden. And Jesus prays to the Father. And what does He pray? Lord, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. What is He talking about? If there's any other way in which sinful man can be forgiven, the remissions of sin can be accomplished, if there's any other way, He says, God, do it. But there wasn't. There's no other means of salvation. There's no amount of good works that you can do to atone for your sins. If you could, why in the world would Jesus have went through with the crucifixion? He did it because it is the only way. And on that cross, before He gave His Spirit up to God, He, he prayed, it is finished, He cried out. What is finished? The work of salvation was finished. He gave His life a ransom for your sins and my sins. He shed His blood in order that we might be forgiven. Because we can't do it in and of ourselves. Cornelius was living what I would call the, the good old boy gospel. He was a good guy. And so many in our day and age 
They're living a good life. Many of you even that came into this room this morning may be living a good life. You're a good moral person and you're, you love your wife and you're providing for your kids and you, you give to those that are in need and you, you pray a lot to God and ask Him of this and of that and of guidance here and of guidance there. But if you've never come to the place where you've received Jesus for the remission of your sins, you're lacking, you're lost. You need the message that Peter proclaimed to Cornelius. You need the message that I am proclaiming to you this morning, that there's salvation in no other name but the name of Jesus. Have you come to a place in your life where you just, in brokenness over your sin, fall down before God in your inability, in, in no way, shape, or form, realizing you can't do it on your own, you can't bring about the forgiveness of your sins, but you get to that place where you understand Jesus did it. He died on the cross for my sins. Simply bow down and say, God, I know He did it for me. I ask You to forgive me. Forgive me because of Christ. Save me. Romans 10.13, Whosoever, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, educated, uneducated, white and black, and all the races of the world, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall saved. If you're here and you've, you're Cornelius, you're living a good life, but you've not yet come to Christ, I beg you, come to Christ. Repent and believe upon Him this morning. If you're here and you're a Peter and you know Jesus, but you're not sharing Jesus like you ought to, repent, confess, and leave here committed. God, I'm going to share the gospel with whoever will listen because I know you've drawn people to me. Heavenly Father, we come to you and I pray in this invitation that you'd be at work. Lord, give us all a greater passion for seeing lost people come to Christ, a greater burden, a greater boldness to share the gospel with whoever will listen. Lord, if there be anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, goodness, I pray even now that they would, they would come to see Christ what He did for them upon that cross. That that is the only way that they can be forgiven. It's the only way that the remission of sins is accomplished through Jesus giving His life on Calvary for our sins. If they've never turned to You in His name, believed upon Him as Lord and Savior, called out to You to save them because of what He did. But I pray even now in this invitation they would just bow in the privacy of their own heart and just turn ask this in Jesus' name for His honor, for His glory, that there may be a, a people of all the nations of the earth gathered around that